Amen. You may be seated. He's our living hope, isn't he? Yeah, amen. Hey, if I've not met you before, my name's Steve. It's my privilege to be the pastor here. We're grateful to have you. We're going to be finally, seems like it's been forever, jumping back in our study, the book of Revelation. We're going to be in Revelation chapter 4, verse 1 this morning. So if you got your Bibles. Now, two real quick things. One, if you've attended here for a long time, maybe you've noticed, maybe you haven't. We used to always turn, you know, when we get to the sermon time, because we want people to bring their Bibles, take notes. We did the lights all the way up. And now we're doing about half staff, right? Uh, and the reason is, is because when the lights are all up, I was watching one of our, uh, one of our services live this summer on vacation, live streaming, and it washes everything out. Here's the problem, though. The first Sunday we tried it, I couldn't read my text. <laughs> and I'm too vain to pull out my readers in front of you all. So uh, we're trying to find. So if, if it is too hard, just let our tech guys know. We're trying to play what's that perfect thing. I decided I've actually got it on iPad now, so there you go. Uh, so I've got that. Number two, I also noticed that I was sitting down there, you all can't see my notes, so by next week we'll actually have them on all the things. But in case you don't know, our church app, if you go to Weekend and then go to Sermon Notes, everything that I put up there is there. So it might be a little easier for you to do it that way. But what we're going to talk about today um, is something that actually the book of Revelation, depending on how you interpret this verse, either mentions in passing or doesn't mention at all. So if you've not been with us, the outline for the book of Revelation is found in chapter 1, verse 19, where John is instructed to write the things he has seen, the things which are, the things which are to come hereafter. Chapter 1 are the things that he has seen. That's that beautiful detailed description of Jesus and his glory. The things which are are chapters 2 and 3. We've already dealt with all of this. Those are the seven churches that existed there in Asia Minor that he writes to. When you get to chapter 4 verse 1, what you read, after these things I looked and behold a door standing open in heaven and the first voice which I heard like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, come up here and I will show you what must take place after these things. So the third piece of the things which are still to come start in chapter 4 verse 1 through the end of the book. So our understanding of the book of Revelation and how we study it is in a futuristic literal sense that we believe from chapter 4 verse 1 is still prophecy. So when we think about the seven years of tribulation, we think about chapter 19, the coming of Christ, the second coming, all of that is still future. But when you look at everything that the Bible tells us about what is to come, there's one thing that seems to be missing in the book of Revelation, and I want to deal with it this week and next week. So we're actually not going to be in Revelation a whole lot, uh, but it's the question of the rapture. The rapture. And what is meant by that? So... If you got your Bibles, we're going to need you to hang with me. Let's start, first of all, uh, with the meaning of the word rapture. The word rapture, so if you go and you have like a, a Bible 
program and you type in rapture and do a church a search of that in the text you're never going to find it because the word rapture is from a latin translation of the greek verb that is found in first corinthians or first thessalonians 4 17 how's that for confusing all right First Thessalonians 4, 17, and we're going to get, we'll spend more time here a little bit later, but I want you to see it. It reads this, then we who are alive and remain will be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, so shall we always be with the Lord. The Latin translation, the Greek word that we translate caught up is where we get the word rapture from. That word caught up has the idea to snatch away, to carry off. It even can have the idea to take with force. And so the, the rapture then is the sudden God-caused removal of the church out of this world. It's often confused with the second coming of Christ. But if you look at them biblically, they are way different. The second coming of Christ the final location is the earth. Jesus is coming back to the earth. Secondly, we know exactly, A, when it's going to happen. It's Revelation 19, it happens at the end of the tribulation time. We know exactly where it's going to happen. Zechariah 14, his feet are going to step on um, Mount of Olives. And there are all kinds of signs, as we're going to read and study in the book of Revelation, that lead to his second coming. The rapture is quite different. A, we have no idea. In fact, the word that we're going to use is imminent. It can happen at any moment. There are no signs. Secondly, the location, the final location, the rapture, is not the earth. It's heaven. It's heaven. And there are no signs. There is nothing that leads up to it. So there are two very distinct things. The rapture is the sudden removal by God of his church out of this world. Here's the third thing. And if you get nothing else today, here's what I want you to get. The rapture is our blessed hope. The rapture is not something as Christians we should fear, that we should go, oh no, I've got something. Listen, when the rapture happens, it's better than any plan you got tomorrow. I just guarantee it. It's our blessed hope. Titus, when Paul puts it like this, looking for our blessed hope and the appearing of the glory of our great God and Savior Christ Jesus. Man, that is, that is at the heart of the Christian worldview. It is our two worldview that Jesus is going to come back. He's going to take us home. One of these days, we are going to be caught out of this mess. And we're going to be in a place where there is no more injustice and there is no more sickness and there is no more separation and there is no more death it's a glorious thing we're going to look at three passages today really want to to make sure that you're with me uh, on these so the first one is actually found in john chapter 14 it's it's the first mention of the rapture in scripture John chapter 14. While you're turning there, let me give you a little background because one of the things that we often say is context is king. Jesus has been telling his disciples over and over that he's going to die. 
They're going to bury him. He's going to rise from the dead. Honestly, gone over their head. He starts primarily way back in Caesarea Philippi, right? That question, who do men say that I am? Then who do you say that I am? You're the Christ. And, it, and if you read the text, it says that he immediately began to tell them that they're going to go to Jerusalem, he's going to be killed, and going to die. The closer they get, he tells them more and more. In fact, you even see it on the way to Jerusalem for that last Passover, the one that he's going to die. He's telling them again. We're in the middle, or actually the end of the Passover week. He gathers them in the upper room. I, but this time it's different because I think they sense, man, something is going on here. Jesus tells them again. They finally understand. They have communion. Judas leaves. And you get to John chapter 14. Jesus says this. Do not let your heart be troubled. Believe in God believe also in me in my father's house are many rooms if that were not so i would have told you because i am going there to prepare a place for you and if i go and prepare a place for you i am coming again and will take you to myself so that where i am there you will be jesus speaks of this this first time this rapture now what most people don't understand because you know we talk about it okay that makes sense he's going to go prepare a place no 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 this was revolutionary this was brand new you can go and you can study every piece of the old testament and you will not under you will not see what jesus is talking about here this is all brand new in the old testament it was always about the messiah coming to earth the resurrection being brought to life here on earth jesus is not talking about earth what is he talking about he's talking about heaven in my father's house where's the father in heaven i'm going there to prepare a place for you and if i go i'm going to come and take you back so whole idea here is that jesus says i'm going to go make a place for you in heaven that is brand new and oh by the way if i go and prepare a place for you i'm going to come again so I'm going to come and get you and not stay here, but I'm going to take you where I am, which is in heaven. Do you see that? It's brand new. It's never been spoken about before. Well, Paul picks up on this in 1 Corinthians chapter 15, where he talks about the rapture being a ministry, so, or, or a mystery. So I want you to turn there, 1 Corinthians 15. While you're turning there, again, let's talk context. Context is king. We were in 1 Corinthians 15 just a couple weekends ago at our baptism service. So he starts with the gospel, right? That's what we talked about in those first 10 verses, how Jesus died for our sins he he was buried he rose from the dead and then paul begins to do an apologetic of why we know jesus rose from the dead and his point that he makes is this is that some are saying that there is no future resurrection but if there's no future resurrection resurrection then christ isn't raised and if christ isn't raised then he's a liar and your faith is vain but there is a future resurrection there's a day coming when we will be raised and that leads us now to the text. Let's we'll start actually in verse 50. 
Now I say this, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I am telling you a mystery. We will not all sleep or die, but we will all be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Now, I have to tell you, once I was actually visiting a church, and as I was walking by their nursery, they had verse 51 up on the wall just outside their nursery, which says, we will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. And I thought, okay, maybe not a great uh, translation of that verse, but it works, right? He calls it a mystery. What does he mean by mystery? A mystery in the New Testament is a truth that is revealed in Christ and revealed to the church that was not known in the Old Testament. Let me give you a couple examples. In Ephesians, Paul talks about even the church itself is a mystery. The fact of Jew and Gentile being together being a part of this whole brand new relationship with Jesus. And his whole point is it's a mystery. You go back to the Old Testament, you don't see it. Later in Ephesians chapter 5, talking about husbands and wives, but he says, but really it's a mystery. What I'm talking about is the relationship between Christ and the church, this intimate relationship. You don't see it in the Old Testament, but it's revealed in the new through Christ, through his fulfillment of the law, through his establishment, of the new covenant you see it again in colossians chapter one he talks about this mystery of christ in you that jesus would actually through the new covenant come and live inside of us you don't see that in the old testament it was a mystery but now in christ it's fulfilled well here's what he's saying i'm going to share with you a mystery you're not going to find it in the Old Testament. It's not there. But Jesus, when he came, began to reveal it. This idea that we will be caught up. So the, the rapture is a mystery in the sense that it wasn't in the Old Testament, but it's part of this new covenant that God has made in creating the church that he is going to come. And what the this rapture involves here which is what we want to take out of this passage is that it involves both the deceased christians so he talks about um but we all be changed in a moment the twinkling eye at the last trump for the um for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable and we will be changed so it has to do with those who have died in christ and those who are still alive at the time. And may I just point out that when we talk about in a moment, what he's talking about here is he's talking about the translation of this body. Because this perishable can't inherit imperishable. This mortal can't inherit what is immortal. But we're going to become immortal. So something's got to happen here. That's what he's talking about will take place. The third passage I want you to look at is 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. And this really is the central passage on the, the rapture that you've got to understand. Uh, again, context is king. 
So let me give you a little background to 1 Thessalonians chapter 4. Do you all remember the book of Acts? Paul was working over in Asia Minor and he kept hitting these brick walls, not knowing where to go. And he had what they call, we call the Macedonian call. Come over and help us. So Paul immediately went over to Macedonia, area of Greece today. He started in Philippi. You remember this? Preaching the gospel. Lydia and her family got saved. People were coming to faith in Christ, but now there was opposition, and, and Paul and Silas are thrown in a jail, and they're beaten. And that night when they sing, there's an earthquake, and now the jailer and his whole family come to faith in Christ. But the next morning, he's kicked out of town. So where he goes from Philippi, he travels down to the major city, which is Thessalonica. And he begins to preach the gospel. And people are getting saved. The problem is, he's only there a little over three weeks. He says three Sabbaths. So between three and four weeks, he's there. And he's preaching the gospel, people are getting saved. Well, let me ask you. If you lead somebody to Christ, what do you immediately begin to do? You begin to disciple them. You begin to teach them the basics of the Christian life, right? What are the things that we need to know? One of those basic things is that we have this blessed hope that we're looking for Jesus to come back. And, and so we live, you know, the heart of our worldview is a two-world view. So we're living, anticipating Jesus coming back. But then all that persecution from Philippi came to Thessalonica. He has to leave. He goes to Berea. He goes down to Athens. He eventually gets to Corinth. What you read in the book of 1 Thessalonians is when, he, you know, he's just so concerned for these young believers. So he sends Timothy back to see how they're doing, make sure they're going on in their faith. And Timothy brings back a great testimony, man. They're following after Jesus, but they have questions. And here's one of the questions. Paul, you told us that one of these days Jesus is coming back. We're going to go. But what about Joe? You say, who's Joe? This is the Ingram translation, by the way. <laughs> Joe believed in Jesus, but Joe died. And Jesus hasn't come back. Is Joe out of luck? Did Joe miss this? Are we never going to see Joe again? This is the context of 1 Thessalonians 4. We'll start reading with verse 13. But we do not want you to be uninformed, brothers and sisters, about those who are asleep, so that you will not grieve, and by asleep he means dead, so that you will not grieve as indeed the rest of mankind do, those who have no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead, so also God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep through Jesus. For we say this to you by the word of the Lord, that we who are alive and remain until the coming of the Lord will not precede those who have fallen asleep. For the Lord himself will descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, with the trumpet of God. And the dead in Christ will rise first. Then we who are alive, who remain, will be caught up. There's that word. 
together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air, and so we will always be with the Lord. Therefore, comfort one another with these words. There's a boatload of stuff here. Let me see if I can just narrow this down to the really important points. Number one, in verse... um, Verse 15, he says, For we say this to you by the word of the Lord. What does he mean by that? What Paul is saying is, is I got this direct from Jesus. I didn't get this from the Old Testament. I didn't get this from the other apostles. I didn't get this as a rumor hanging around. I got this directly from the Lord. And you say, well, how and when? Well, you remember Paul got saved on the road to Damascus. Then Paul, when he tells his story, says he went out into the desert for three years. And what we believe is during that time, Jesus himself showed up with Paul and basically gave him a crash course. That's why when when Paul talks about that he was the last one, remember 1 Corinthians 15, he was the last one to see the resurrected Christ. And we think it happened there. So like when Paul writes in 1 Corinthians 11, we read last week, taking communion. For I received from the Lord that which I gave to you. I got this directly from Jesus. So folks, there is no better source than Jesus. And that's what he's saying here. And so he says, I got this from the Lord, that the Lord will come, and he's going to come with three distinct sounds. For the Lord, verse uh, 16, for the Lord himself will descend from heaven with the shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the trumpet of God. So what he says is when Jesus comes back for us, there's three sounds. First of all, he is going to shout. And of course, the shout is an idea of authority. Now, one of the big questions is, is what is Jesus going to shout? I'll tell you someday. Um, Well, think of Jesus standing at the tomb of Lazarus. Lazarus, come forth. To be honest, you go back to Revelation chapter 4, and it says, verse 1 that we read early, he says, And the first voice which I had heard, like the sound of a trumpet speaking with me, said, come up here. Honestly, if you go back to Revelation chapter 1, verse 10, when Paul's on, or John's on the island of Patmos, what's the first voice he hears that sounds like a trumpet? He turns around, it's Jesus speaking. That's why many, we'll talk about this more next week, think that Revelation 4.1 is kind of that shadowing that this is when the, the rapture is going to take place. Come up here! Right? So you're going to have the voice of Jesus. Then you have the voice of the archangel. The archangel is Michael. We read that in Jude, verse 9. And he is, as the archangel, he is like the head of the angels. And so some people say, well, why is Michael involved with this? And honestly, we don't know. It could be that because he's the protector of God's people, Satan is the prince of power of the air, maybe it's this shout of, of, of protection, Satan, you can't touch them as they ascend through the atmosphere to be with Jesus, or maybe it is just a shout of proclamation. Right, You think about how Jesus, when he ascended to heaven, Paul says, made this triumphal processional, and that that's part of it. But he is going to shout. The third thing is, is that there's going to be the sound of the, the trumpet here. Uh, 
Now, do you all know Nancy Fadley? Nancy Gary been a part of our church forever. Nancy, they're part of the 8 o'clock. She thinks this is the so far, right? The, the ram's horn, you know, that the priest would blow uh, with that. In fact, last time we were in Israel, I actually got a so far. I blew on it for her, took a video, sent it. She almost raptured right then when she got the video, <laughs> Gary said, you know. Um, it may be. But it may be more so you know you go to Israel or you, you go to Exodus and you see that they're in the wilderness as they made the tabernacle with the tabernacle they actually made silver trumpets and the trumpets were to call people together they were to call people to war um, if you go if you go to Israel with us someday, uh, we're going to go to the Temple Institute where they created things for the third temple. They've actually already created the, the silver trumpets and they already blow them on feast days. When you stand at the Wailing Wall and you look up, you can see it's not there, but you could see where the outcrop came where the trumpeters would blow. So the, the whole idea here is, is that God is going to summon his people and call them together. Now, one of the questions that people sometimes ask is, well, is everyone going to be able to hear this or just Christians? Again, great question. I'll tell you someday. I don't know. I don't know. A couple of verses that might give us some impact would be in John 12... Jesus is in the temple area. He says, Father, glorify your name. Says, then a voice came out of heaven. I both glorified it and will glorify it. So the crowd of people who stood by heard it were saying that it had thundered, right? Almost like so they heard it, but they didn't get it. They didn't, didn't register with them. Or some were saying that an angel had spoken to him. You think of, of Saul going to Damascus and now God hits him with the light and speaks to him well they could hear something they understood something was going on but they couldn't really understand those who, who uh, were not Saul so maybe it's something that they will hear and they will sense but they, but they won't know another main point here and then I want you to see is there in verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead, so also God will bring with him those who have fallen asleep to, uh, with Jesus. So, so this is, answers the question of what happened to Joe? Well, the Bible tells us that as a Christian, to be absent from this body is to be present with Jesus. So they're already home. They're already with Christ, and so when Jesus comes back for the resurrection, for the rapture, they're going to come with him. It's just he stops in the clouds, they come back, and their bodies are raised, and then we who are alive and remain are now caught up. It begs another question. Well, do you know, then are, are they in heaven without a body? I wish I had a little time to really dig into this. Let me tell you my opinion just real quickly, I think they do. I think 2 Corinthians chapter 5, if you want to study it, I think it's an important passage. Because Paul says, for we know that if this earthly house, which is our tent, is torn down, that we have a building of God, not made with hands, that's eternal in the heavens. Because he says, while we're in this body, we groan. <laughs> yeah, yes. Especially the older we get, we groan more. And he says, it's not that we want to be unclothed, that we just want to be a spirit without a body, but we want to be clothed with our dwelling from heaven. 
so that what is mortal will be swallowed up by life. I mean, you even look at Jesus meets with Moses and Elijah. They haven't been raised, but they had bodies. We're going to see in the book of Revelation people that are killed in the tribulation. So, as you'll see next week, in my opinion, after the rapture, but when you see them in heaven, they, they have hands, they're raising them to God, they're, 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 they're worshiping him, they're clothed. So I think they do. It's just, I think they got, I think those that have died in Christ have got their new spiritual body. And they're going to come, but now it becomes a part of the resurrection as it goes through that process. And it is raised, and then we who are alive and remain are now, again, changed, and we are raised. And this is one of the things that a lot of people don't understand about, again, the rapture. They think, well, it happened just like that. No, that's not what 1 Corinthians says. It says we will be changed. This body will be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. It doesn't say the rapture will happen that quickly. In fact, if you think about it, if Jesus is going to shout and Michael the archangel is going to say something and a trumpet's going to sound, that's not in a moment in the twinkling of an eye. Some time. I actually happen to think that God in his goodness and greatness that this might be just one of those things that we get to see him coming across the the threshold of of our uh, of our world and and see him coming i mean sometimes in in the evenings you know those beautiful clouds out to the west with the sun shining over it and i say man wouldn't it be great if we'd see jesus coming right and by the way if that's the way it works where do you want to go you want to go to cemetery because they get raised first, man. You get to watch that, right? And wow, this is cool, right? And here we go, right? This is our blessed hope because we get to go home and be with Jesus. And so then we who are alive and remain will be caught up, will be taken up next. Big point here. And from then on, we're going to be with Jesus. Folk, do you understand why it's our blessed hope? It's that day that we look forward to. I, I'm running out of time, but I've got a couple key points that I want to make sure that you understand. First of all, when we think about the rapture, one of the things you have to understand is that there are no signs that we're waiting for. There's nothing that has to happen. Jesus could come back today. Today. I mean, can you imagine how glorious it would be <laughs> to realize here he comes man all these plans that I, and stuff I got to get done this week uh, it, it doesn't matter anymore we're going home and all the worry and all the concern and all the anxiety and all the pressure and we're just going to get to go be with Jesus secondly can I just remind you that Jesus himself he's not sending Michael for us He's not sending Moses for us or Elijah for us. He himself, the God of the universe, is coming back to personally take you home. Man, he loves you so much. Number three, we get to be together forever. One of the difficult parts of this life is having to say goodbye, isn't it? People move away. Yesterday, uh, I know probably many of you didn't know uh, Paul Cecil because he had uh, physically just 
kind of prior even COVID, but uh, had lung transplants and all that, so couldn't be here a lot, but we just had his homegoing service yesterday. Good man, it's hard to say goodbye. We get home with Jesus, we don't ever have to say goodbye again. Man, there is no more sickness, there is no more pain, there is no more death. There's a fourth point too. At the rapture, our salvation is complete. And you say, whoa, 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 whoa. I thought my salvation was complete today. Well, it's complete in that it's paid for, but it is not complete in the, in the idea that it is done. You see, when I came to faith in Christ many years ago, my soul, the real Steve, was redeemed. It was made new. If any man is in Christ, he's a new creation. I was forgiven. I was made a child of God. But there was part of me on that day that was not redeemed. It's this. And folk, to be honest with you, it's this that causes us so much trouble. The lust of the flesh the lust of the eye, the pride of life. This is infected by sin. This has got to be dealt with. In fact, have you ever stopped to wonder what, what's the big change between here and heaven, and yet in heaven there is no sin? Well, the only thing that I can understand, the only thing that changes is this. And on that day, we get a new this. One that never knows sin. One that will never deal with temptation. One that will never fall, that will never fail. We get a new body. And as Paul put it in Romans chapter 8, we eagerly await the adoption of sons, the redemption on this body. And I tell you, that day when Jesus comes back and takes us home, our redemption is complete. We are made new. This mortal will have put on immortality. This perishable will put on the imperishable. It's a great day. Let me just finish with uh, one last point. I don't want you to miss this. It's actually seen here in uh, verse 14. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose from the dead... The only ones who are part of the rapture are those who come to faith in Jesus. It's not those who have, uh, quote-unquote, joined a church, who have done good things, who have lived a good life. No. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, it's the issue of faith. And it's only those. So if you don't know Jesus, today's the day of salvation. Now, I honestly, in all my years in talking about this, I've had people say to me, well, Steve, I'm going to wait. And if the rapture happens, then I'm going to believe. I say, okay, you know, it's your choice. Two things, you do know that once the church is gone, all this gets escalated, right? And you're gonna, you know, the world's gonna go into seven years unlike it's ever experienced in his entire, and, 
In fact, so much so that halfway through, half of the world's population is dead, and you want to experience that, okay? But secondly, I, I just try to always encourage them, study 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, because I think Paul argues there that today is the day of salvation, and if you put it off because you think you're going to wait, and Jesus comes back, and you knew, and you had hardened your heart, that your heart now will even be harder, and you won't want to put your faith and trust in Today's the day of salvation. Today's the day of salvation. You know, Paul, Paul throughout says, we who are alive, right? I think Paul expected to be raptured. We're 2,000 years down the line. I don't know when it's going to happen. All I just know is that we're 2,000 years closer. It could happen today. It could happen this week. It could happen in another 1,000 years but it is the blessed hope that it could happen today.